0: All right, so let's see who won Valentine's Day. It is a competition, right? Not really. How many of you fellows cooked breakfast in bed for your wife today? <laughs> really? I see one. One? For real? She cooked free. Today. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, not three days from now. Like this morning on Valentine's Day. Because you had to get to church, right? You did it, Jim. All right, who can beat that? Made breakfast for your husband. That's beautiful. Anybody got anything better? Heart-shaped chocolate. Oh, that's, that's lovely. Miss Cindy, obviously, you're. My our entire house and okay. That's good. All right, Bonnie, you're up. Oh, very nice. Not exactly cooked it himself, but we'll give him credit. Yeah, yeah. Yes, sir. Indeed, indeed. So, there's a lot of pressure on this Valentine's Day for some of us fellas, right? Anybody here want to admit they were at the store at seven o'clock when it opened because you forgot the card? <laughs> Anyone? I mean, besides me. That's I, mean today, right? <laughs> Shh. I thought we said we weren't going to say anything. No, no, it's uh, it's funny. I had to, I did have to run to the store for a card, and um. The line at Publix, I sometimes go to Publix early for different things on Sundays, and usually nobody's there. There are like 12 people, okay, men, just on my side of the store, ready to go in. I'm like, yep, Val, and, and the staff is hysterical. You know, all the stalkers are like, yeah, you can tell it's Valentine's Day. Look at all these people. <laughs> yep, good times, good times, good times. Well, I hope, I hope you all have a great Valentine's Day together with, with uh, the one you love. And we're going to talk today uh, in that vein, not particularly about love. We've been talking for a while about happiness, contentment, this, this idea that God created us with the capacity to be happy, to enjoy life. And we're going to look at some words of Jesus today to that effect. We're going to be in John chapter 10 in just a few minutes. Some probably very familiar words to you that we'll look at to get started. Um, but, but today we're going to take that idea, and one of the things I want to talk about today is the difference between a couple of words. And as we've talked about happiness for the last several weeks, um, we, we began by saying there's no thing that can make you happy. You can't go buy it. It's not accessible in that way. There's no quick fix. It's not you can do something and you're immediately happy as far as a long-term contentment. Now, some people might do some things that in the short term make them happy. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But there's no thing out there you can do. Then we looked at the words of Jesus where we saw that as he explained happiness and the Beatitudes by using uh, the word blessed or blessed, as a lot of us say from church world background, we found that he defined happiness differently than most would. And the way he taught happiness was as a result or as an outcome, that your life, the choices you make, is in effect sowing seeds that one day will bring about happiness. It's not immediately accessible. It's not just go buy it or experience it. It's something that is something you're building into your life today, and those decisions, those choices, one day you'll reap the happiness that comes from them. And I think the confusion we get when I say things like that is because we have two words in our mind that we kind of blend together. And in our world, in the the consumer culture we live in, it's easy to blend these two. And I want to make today a distinction between these two words, between the words happiness and pleasure. Because pleasure is something that you can consume, is something that's more immediately accessible and when I say some of these things maybe you were thinking more along the lines of that but today we're going to look at some things and find out that pleasure though it may be accessible and may be that quick fix that we seek or look for when we're kind of feeling less than happy ultimately is unable to bring us true happiness um, we're going to start by a promise Jesus makes, and he's going to contrast himself in John chapter 10 with another person. We're going to start at verse 10. Now, there's a lot of things that happen in verses 1 through 9. This, this section of John chapter 10, Jesus talks about himself as the good shepherd. And so he's, he's talking a lot about he's the shepherd, we're the sheep, and how a good shepherd acts and treats his sheep. But then kind of out of the blue, he uses this different picture in john chapter 10 and he starts out with john 10 uh, verse 10 saying this the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy so in the midst of this talking about sheep and shepherds and we might think you know in a in a situation where the sheep are in a pen maybe the thief is going to try to get into that pen and he's going to try to do damage to the owner of the sheep by stealing some of those sheep by potentially killing those sheep or destroying this this property this investment that he has and jesus uses this picture to help us understand that we live a life where there is a thief who tries to do these three things to us who tries to to steal from us maybe our joy or our contentment who tries to kill the things in our life relationships and and other uh careers who tries to ultimately destroy us and of course in church world we talk about this thief and we often give him a name we call him satan the devil or whatever word lots of different ideas that are present there and and we know that in that is the case that the enemy another word we use for satan is trying to to get you to make decisions, get you to make choices that ultimately will result in stealing from you, killing, and destroying. We talked about the word sin several times in this, in this uh series, and we'll talk about it again later. And one of the things we said is sin always leads to death. And when you make those sinful choices, when the thief comes in and, and tempts you along that line, and you make those sinful choices, you will find. The result will be death, maybe not immediately physical death, but it'll be the death of something, maybe a relationship. You sin against somebody, that relationship is affected, maybe even killed. It'll be the death of a career, if you make choices in your career that could conceivably damage it, and so on and so forth. But here's the thing that that I want to do today that might be helpful for us. Because a lot of times we talk about this in church, Well, we talk about the enemy, we talk about Satan, we talk about the devil, whatever the the name you want to give to this person that we know is out there, we can sometimes transfer the problem to him as if we had no part in the matter. I wish that were so. I wish I could say, you know, in the immortal words of Flip Wilson as Geraldine, the devil made me do it, the devil made me do it. And that was all there was to it. But there's this verse, I, I don't have it up on the screens, uh, but it's it's pretty condemning, when it says, Each one is led away when by his own desires he is dragged away and enticed. Meaning that temptation that's dangled out in front of you, you're the one that ultimately has to make the choice to go down that road and gives the thief The right to steal and to kill and to destroy. So sometimes we need to be honest and say, we are our own worst enemy. I am my own worst enemy. Because I sometimes make choices that undermine my happiness. They are choices that ultimately, when I have to look in the mirror, I have to take some ownership of. Yes, the thief dangled the carrot but I reached out and bid it, right? I'm the one that made the choice. I'm the one that pursued that thing. I'm the one that bought it or leased it or ate it or drank it or smoked it or dated it or whatever else it is. I'm the one that made that choice. And when I made that choice, I allowed the thief to begin to come in and to steal and to kill and to destroy, ultimately, my happiness. But then there's a word. Then there's a change in this verse. In the middle of it, Jesus says, yes, here's the bad news, but let me give you the good news. And he goes on in the second half of verse, verse 10 and says this, But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, that's niv translation i told you before i grew up in church world and maybe some of you did too and the way i learned this verse was probably from king james or other wise and it says but he has come that we may have life and may have it abundantly that's a a more picturesque word than have it to the full in fact uh if if you were to look up the word that's translated abundantly in in the greek lexicon it would say this pertaining to an abundance which is not ordinarily encountered That this word that's used, that Jesus comes, that you may have life and have it abundantly, is the kind of abundantly that you just don't normally see anywhere. It's above and beyond the regular stuff that you and I encounter in life. It's life in an amazing way. It's it's a sense of happiness and contentment and joy for living that you just don't see. And that's what Jesus says. If the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, Jesus might do all the opposites of those. He would not come to steal, but to give. I've come to give you life. And not to kill, but to grow. And not to destroy, but to build up. All of those things come from Jesus. And then the next verse, he tells us, in a lot of ways, why we can trust him. Because he goes back to that shepherd analogy, and he says this in verse 11. I am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep so he's he's given us this contrast he's given us these two options there is a thief which i have to admit sometimes comes down to my own choices undermining my own happiness and following that road leads to steal and kill and destroy and there is a good shepherd And this good shepherd is the kind of shepherd that would lay down his life for the sheep. Now here's a great point that we can't miss. Because a lot of people in this world, and maybe you've thought at a time or two, when they look at Jesus, when they look at religion or God or whatever word you want to use, I want to talk about Jesus particularly as the Son of God. They think that Jesus came to do everything he could to keep us from enjoying life. There is this idea out in our world that if you really want to enjoy life, there's no way you should listen to Jesus because he's just going to keep you down. He's going to tell you not to do all the things that you think you want to do to have fun. There is that idea. But here's what I want to suggest to you, and here's what Jesus says about himself, is as the good shepherd, he shows you how much he is for you by what he does for you when he lays down his life for you. Jesus says, you can trust me because I'm the kind of person, when I invite you to follow me, I will die in your place. I'm that kind of God. If somebody will do that for me, I think I want to know more about them, don't you? If there was somebody in a situation, I've used this example before, that was a dangerous situation, and put themselves between me and certain death, and in fact, were wounded or killed on my behalf, saving me from that situation, I would be their biggest fan. I would want to know what happened to them after that incident. I would, if they were injured in the hospital, I would go visit them. If they were alert enough, I would thank them profusely. I would buy them flowers. I would make sure they knew I was grateful for what they did for me. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep, and you can trust me because I will show you just how trustworthy I am. And so we come to kind of a point of choice. And here's, shall we say, kind of the rub that's implicit in this. If Jesus says he's the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, who does that make the sheep? Me and you, right? Just turn to your neighbor and say, your sheep your sheep now i'm sure when you get online and draw your avatar to show your awesomeness you probably don't pick the sheep right i mean sheep are generally considered to be pretty mild pretty tame and Taking it from those who know them, dare I say, pretty stupid. Sheep aren't considered to be the brightest animals you'll ever encounter. And Jesus, in so many words, is saying that's you. Why do sheep need a shepherd? Because they're pretty stupid and they're pretty defenseless. Sheep will do some crazy stuff. You can spook a a flock, herd group a covey a pride what do you what do you call sheep okay just check in you don't have to get angry about it it's valentine's day come on a flock of sheep and they will follow the fastest sheep over the edge of a cliff thinking that's the right way and that lead sheep will be the one that leads them over the sheep uh, over the cliff because he doesn't know any better he's just trying to get away from whatever the danger is Sheep need a shepherd so that when the danger comes, a shepherd steps in, protects the sheep, makes sure they don't panic, make sure they don't run, make sure they don't hurt themselves. All sorts of things can happen. Sheep will be on a piece of pasture land and without the management of a good shepherd will so overgraze that place that that land will be ruined. And if you were to leave a sheep there, they would stay there wondering, well, where'd all the grass go? I don't see any grass. I'll just try to eat this dirt until... They waste away and die. Sheep are not smart. They need a shepherd. You and me, we're not always smart either. We make some bad decisions, don't we? We do things to undermine our own selves sometimes. We are our own worst enemy because when we think about it, we bought it, we ate it, we drank it. We smoked it. We dated it. Let's just say we make some bad decisions. <laughs> no. True. True. And when we make those decisions, when we choose to follow the thief, to allow the thief to come in, when we choose sin. The result is that we have things stolen and killed and destroyed in our life. And Jesus says, that is not it. Now, why do we find ourselves over and over and over again, it seems like, making some of these same bad decisions? Back to where we started. There's a difference between these two ideas, between pleasure and happiness. One leads to the other, and the other leads undermines the one. It's a matter of which one you will give priority to. If you give priority to pleasure, and if you consistently choose pleasure in the moment, that thing which you think will make you happy, you will find out ultimately it will undermine your happiness, and you won't get happier and happier. You will actually get more miserable and miserable. There's a thing that I learned a long time ago uh, called the law of diminishing returns. It's Valentine's Day, so this seems an appropriate time to mention the Law of Diminishing Returns because that's the context in which I learned it. It was talking to us teenagers as we were thinking about dating and all of that sort of thing that youth groups talk about from time to time. And our youth leader told us the Law of Diminishing Returns. And this is how he described it, and you know it as well as I do. And it works not just for dating relationships, but for lots of things. Uh, Let's say there's that young lady that I was sweet on and interested in and maybe even invited her out for Valentine's Day dinner. And over the course of Valentine's Day dinner, I was so bold as to reach across and take her hand. And what would happen to my heart, right? I mean, I'm nervous, I'm excited, maybe my palms are sweaty. This is like the best thing (laughs) ever, right and it goes so well that i ask her out on another date and on the next date i think i can't wait to hold her hand and i hold her hand and i'm like well huh I, uh, yeah i'm still why isn't that as exciting this time it's just kind of i've held her hand before Oh, but when I drop her off at her door, I'm going to give her a kiss on the cheek. Oh, and Even thinking about it, my heart rate goes, and as the end of the night comes, and we go to her house, and I walk her to her door, my heart's like pounding out of my chest, and I lean in that moment of truth and kiss her on the cheek, and oh, it's so exciting, yes. And then the next date comes, and guess what's not as exciting this time? The father comes. (laughs) Woo! Things just got ugly. No. It was just a kiss on the cheek. We're good. But that kiss on the cheek isn't as exciting. And if you've been in relationships, you understand what I'm saying without me needing to go any further. It takes a little bit more to get the same reaction. happens with uh, some drinks. First time you ever have an alcoholic beverage. Doesn't take much to get maybe that buzz and that feeling. But if you're one that consistently imbibes over time, it takes a little bit more or a little bit harder drink to get the same feeling. There's this law of diminishing returns that applies when we seek pleasure. And, And if we make that the priority, If we pursue that, if we say, I want to be happy, and what we really mean is I want another bit of pleasure, we will find that there's never enough. That it always takes a little bit more. And over time, that little bit more becomes less about pursuing pleasure and more about a compulsion to seek out that thing. Call it even an addiction. And after a while, we realize it's not that we're making the choice. It's that there's something else making the choice for us, calling us to those things. And in the end, we look back and go, why did I do that again? Or how did I get here? That's not happiness. That's discontentment. That is, for many people, a prison that they need to be delivered from captivity bondage in their life and if you choose to pursue pleasure that's the way it goes now we've we've already talked in, in the last weeks about happiness and we know that happiness isn't something that when we're feeling down we can go get something or do something and immediately have happiness no that's what pleasure does that's that thing that tells us i'm feeling sad what i need is this to eat or this to drink or or I need to call this person or I need to go see that person who's got that stuff that's pretty good and whatever it is that's the pursuit of pleasure and that is a dead end. The pursuit of happiness follows the path Jesus said where we sow those seeds that leads to the outcome. And here's what I see now. Don't hear me see. Don't hear me say pleasure is bad. God created us with the capacity. To enjoy with capacity for happiness, yes, but the ca- capacity to enjoy pleasure. In fact, as we think about, you know, dating and relationships and Valentine's Day, sex was God's idea. It was his design between husband and wife. It wasn't something that we came up with. He gave it to us. There are many things in Scripture where we see God's desires that we enjoy. But if we pursue pleasure first... There'll be no happiness if we pursue happiness. We see sow those seeds of happiness along the way. We will find ourselves enjoying pleasure. Let me look at it from a different point of view. From another biblical writer, the Apostle Paul, he talks about it a little bit differently in Romans chapter six. Just a couple of verses there. In Romans chapter six, verse sixteen, he starts out by saying, "Don't you know?" So what is to follow? In effect, Paul is saying. You know, don't you know, you should already know this. I'm about to lay some common sense on you. Here's stuff that shouldn't come as a shock. You shouldn't read this and go, oh, I never thought of that before. You should read this and understand this is something we all know. And this is the way he says, don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey. Now, it seems like a, like a little circular talk there. But what's he saying? It's if you... Say, I'm going to be your servant. I'm going to be your slave. Whose slave are you? You're the slave of the person who says, you said to, I'm going to be your slave. Just makes sense, right? You offer yourself to Joe. Say, Joe, I'm going to be your servant. Who's, who are you a servant of? Joe. Remember Joe? Just met him. Joe. So you're a servant of Joe because you offered yourself in servitude to Joe. Common sense, right? Don't you know? Of course you know that. But then he shows us, In the next part of this verse, what we've been talking about already, when he says this, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Here's our choice. Here's our two roads diverged in a wood. Here's how are you going to make the choice. You have a choice about to whom you will offer yourself as a slave. Choice A, you can offer yourself as a slave to sin. Now, we've talked about sin several times over the course of the last several weeks, and and we kind of know what that is. And we've said more than once, sin always leads to death. So it shouldn't surprise us that when we offer ourselves as a slave to sin, the result is death. How do you offer yourself as a slave to sin? That's what we were just talking about, the law of diminishing returns. A lot of times it's that pleasure principle that you think, oh, I'm just going to, because I don't feel good, because I don't feel happy, do this, buy that, eat that, smoke that, drink that, call that person, whatever it is, and you take that step. And that's offering yourself to a master called sin. Sin, I know this is not God's best for me, but in this situation, because I want to feel better, I'm going to offer myself to that master. So who's your master? Joe was, now sin is. We gave Joe a new name. Come on. <laughs> Sin is your master. And you might say, well, I made the choice. Yeah, that's how it starts. But ask the addict. How much of a choice they think they still make? They probably say it doesn't feel like much of a choice. It doesn't feel like much of an option. It feels like I can't go on unless. It's like that master is calling their name. And they have no choice but to step in line and obey. Because time and time and time again, they've offered themselves in service to that master, whatever it is, whoever it is, however it works. And they've reached a point where it's less choice and more prison. They don't know what else to do. They don't know how else to act. They just act and do and, and go. Jesus says, or Paul says, when you offer yourself as a slave to sin, the result is death. Physically, you can harm your body. Relationally, you can harm marriages or relationship with children or, or good trusted friends. Vocationally, you can harm your career, you can kill your career, and on and on and on it can go. The result of sin, the wages of sin, is death. Or the other choice, obedience. Obedience. This sometimes is not the thing that in that moment where we're not feeling so good, we want to do. Sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes we want that little pleasure kick wherever we've come to know to find it. And we have to make the choice not to pursue that. We have to instead make the choice to sow the seeds that ultimately will lead to happiness. And in that moment, it might be... Or it might feel more like denying myself. By the way, didn't Jesus say something about to follow me? You must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. It might feel more like loss than gain. But in the economy of God, that's a lot of times how it works. It's sort of upside down. And Paul says, you can make the choice To offer yourself as a slave to obedience, and the result of that is righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is a a long way of saying you are in right standing with God. You can hear that word right in the word righteous. You, in choosing to offer yourself as a slave to obedience, making the choice in whatever situation, not to pursue pleasure, but to sow the seeds of happiness, not to look for the quick fix, but to look for the long-term following of the of your heavenly father the good shepherd who's already said you can trust me because i'll die for you i did die for you that the result is right standing with god and last week we spent the whole time talking about one of the most important things that gives you long-term contentment happiness joy peace is peace with god when you have peace with god you can come to terms with your own faults and failings because his forgiveness is in place when you have peace with god he shows us that we can in turn as he forgave us we learn to forgive others and and in spite of people doing us wrong we don't have to live with the burden of bitterness and anger and a need for revenge instead we can live at peace because we have peace ultimately with our creator and Jesus says if you want that one of the ways is to sow these seeds is to make these choices to become slaves to obedience, to doing what you know God would have you do rather than doing what you think in that moment might make you happy. I mean, we've all faced these decisions. We all, if we're honest, know exactly what I'm talking about. I know what I'm talking about. I've been there. You know what I'm talking about. You know those things that kind of have that hold on you in those moments seem to call you more strongly there are those things that you know you hope the circumstances happen that you can do that as if you're sitting out or sitting in your house looking out the window waiting for that thing that opportunity to come knocking so you can immediately seize on it we know that's the road we know in our own life we have those habits or those patterns that we've pursued and we also know ultimately They didn't take us where we wanted to go. And so we're left with this choice. Are you willing to trade your pleasure for a shepherd? Are you willing to trade what you think in this moment is the quick fix that's going to make you feel better for one who says, follow me? And I will show you life and life so abundant is the kind of life that you've never seen before. Are we willing to make that trade? And if we're going to answer that question, there's another question we're going to have to deal with and that's this. Is there a pleasure that's getting in the way of your happiness? Now you don't have to answer me or raise your hand or you know look down and feel guilty that's not the point here but it's a question you have to ask is there what is it for most of us it's probably something is there a place in my life is there a pleasure in my life that i'm willing to trade for the kind of life jesus promised for peace with god for happiness for joy for contentment there is we're kind of back to here what are you going to do because it's going to come calling I can promise you you know that thief that enemy that Satan that devil he knows your weakness he has studied you yeah okay it's Valentine's Day let's have a little fun not that much fun husbands just for you, wives, you can not listen. Please don't listen. Do you know the way to make your wife mad? Raise your hand. I mean, if I ask you, before you leave this place today, could you really tick off your wife? How many of you husbands said, oh, challenge accepted? Peace o' cake. Yeah, you, you know it, right? You know because you've been together, because you have experienced life together, you know that thing. I will guarantee you. Oh, well, let's ask the better question. Husbands, do you know what to do to make your wife not so mad at you again after you've ticked her off? There's one. See, here's my problem. We all know answer A. We have a hard time with answer B. Because let's be honest does the does the rule ever change in your house like it doesn't mine? Roses worked once. Not so much, right? No, that's not the point. We know our wives. Wives, you could answer the questions the same way. You know your husband. How much more do you think the enemy of your soul knows how to get you? He knows. He knows what it is. He knows the circumstance. He knows the thing. He knows how to set you up. (laughs) i don't have to bring him up he's pretty independent (laughs) he will come after you he knows the thing and when you go back to the garden i'm going to suggest the thing is always the same thing it's just got little different colors to it what does he say to eve he god knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like him you know what our thing is And it takes different forms with all of us. Our thing on some level, the enemy's always dangling, is that place where you wish God would let you do what you wanted. You've looked at it. Eve looks at the fruit. It's pleasing to the eye. It's good for food, and it's desirable for gaining wisdom. So she picks it and eats it and gives it to Adam. Whatever it is is your thing. You've looked at it, and you've said the same thing. Well, that's pleasing to the eye. There's something appealing about that. It's, it's good for, for food or, or for whatever. There, there's something about doing this will feel like it'll give sustenance to your life. And ultimately, you begin to rationalize. Oh, oh you know, I, maybe you don't think this is desirable for gaining wisdom, but you think maybe in this situation, it's not so bad as God said. Because if he understood how I'm really feeling right now, he would know. This is okay. And we go through the same process and the enemy dangles the carrot. He knows your carrot and we bite and we take that step toward pleasure at the expense of happiness. What is your pleasure that you're prioritizing over happiness? And are you willing to trade that pleasure for a good shepherd? Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you have revealed yourself as the good shepherd. The good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. That you, on Calvary's cross, took upon yourself the penalty that was rightly mine, rightfully mine. I had earned it, I deserve it, and yet, Jesus, you stepped in and died and were buried in my place That if I but put my faith in you, as you were resurrected, so one day I can live forever with you and with the Father in heaven. Lord, because you are the good shepherd, because you've done that for us, we don't have to wonder if you're for us. We don't have to wonder if you're on our side. We don't have to wonder if you want what's best for us. You've proven that. So, Lord, today, as we've thought about the things we've talked about, as we've thought about particularly that, that thing, that pleasure that we too often pursue to our own detriment, we, our, we are our own worst enemy, and allow the thief to come in and to steal and kill and destroy. May today we be willing to trade that pleasure for a shepherd. And, Lord, as we come to our time of response, may that be the response of our life. May you call to our minds the area that we struggle. I think we already know it. It doesn't take much to think about it. And God, may we even in these moments lay it at your feet and say, Father, I will trade up this pleasure for a good shepherd who I can follow, who will show me as I become a slave to obedience, as I sow those seeds of happiness, that I will find righteousness, right standing with you, peace with you. And the true happiness, the abundant life that you promise. God, thank you that that is what you desire for us. That's what you promise through Jesus. And I pray that today each of us will take a step toward that. Whatever step that is. Whatever form that takes. God, we invite you to have your way in these next moments of our service in this time of invitation and response. And I pray these things today in Jesus' name.